How good does it feel to be back where we belong in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after this long period? It feels like a lifetime. And I have missed you, dear brothers. I have missed you enormously. And the difficulties that people experience in being away from the likes of these gatherings affects all of us equally. And let no facade or smiley face or an appearance that someone shows you convince you otherwise. It's tough being away from the house of Allah. But at the same token, we celebrate, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the fact that we feel this way. We thank Him that we were upset because of the distance we had between us and the masjid. And in some of the narrations, although there is a doubt in their chain of transmission, that if you see a person visiting the houses of Allah, then testify to his iman, to his faith. The fact that that love and the attachment to the masjid is there. After all, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, those who frequent the houses of Allah, they are those who believe in Allah on the last day. So that is Allah describing them. You see them in the masjid, then with their sins, and with their yearnings, and with their crimes, public and private, they are inshallah people of iman. Although all of us, we have iman, that is a work in progress. I mentioned, if you remember in the build-up to this lecture series during the trailer, I said that when lockdown was finally eased to some extent and we were allowed back to the masjid and we were making our way to the mosques to do our first salah after a long period, I for one was quite surprised to see how different people look from an aesthetic perspective. You look to your right and you see an individual, an uncle who'd put on quite a few kg since lockdown. And you look to your left, you see someone who's now praying on a chair who used to be able to stand upright. And you look a little bit further down the masjid, you see him swallowing pills, medicines, problems that he never had, ailments he didn't have pre-lockdown. And others whom when you try to speak with them, they struggle to make eye contact. The social interpersonal skills are no more. So that took me by surprise, just the visual assessment. What shocked me even more was when we started speaking to some of our brothers in the masjid and the complaints, the pains, and the new addictions that had been picked up and the battle with Iman, it became clear to me that the uh, test, the internal test, the internal damage that was done because of this lockdown was far more severe than the, than the physical one. So it became quite clear to me that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was going to give us life for us to restart these lectures, I promised myself that the very first topic will be a focus on these rusty hearts of ours to bring them back to a status that will be pleasing to Allah and will please us in this life before the next. Why the topic of hearts? Is this a topic that we've chosen to run away from the problems of reality? 
Is this a form of escapism? Don't we have anything better to talk about? No, I'm going to share with you. And this session and next week's session, they will be introductory sessions to our series that we've called Change of Hearts. We'll share with you a few headings to show you that we've chosen this topic for a very huge reason. And the topic at hand is grave. Because there isn't anything on planet Earth that requires more attention and polishing and purifying and curing than the condition of the human heart. Yet the paradox is that there isn't anything that is more neglected and abused and exposed to all sorts of harm than that same human heart. Why have we chosen the topic of hearts? Allow me to share with you perhaps seven or so headings. The first, prophethood was heralded with open heart surgery. Prophethood began with a procedure upon the heart of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa In the famous hadith which Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Anas, he said that when the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was still a child playing with some of his friends, Angel Jibreel made his way to him. And in front of those children, he wrestled him to the ground. And he opened up his chest, a physical opening that is. And then he extracted his heart. And then he opened his heart and pulled out from his heart a alaqah, a black clot of some sort. And Jibreel said to that child, alayhi salatu wasalam, هَذَا حَظُّ الشَّيْطَانِ مِنْكَ This was shaitan's portion of you. And then he took the heart and he washed it within a gold basin using zamzam water. Then the heart was sealed. It was placed back into the chest and then the chest was sealed. Anas ibn Malik, the servant of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, وَقَدْ كُنْتُ أَرَى أَثَرَ الْمَخِيطِ فِي صَدْرِهِ I, as his companion, when he became a, a man, I used to see the effects of the stitches on his chest. So it was a literal surgery that was done to him. So notice how before he became a prophet, there was a need to cleanse what? there was a need to cleanse his heart. So prophethood began with the purification of the heart from a physical perspective. This is why this topic is so serious. Allah said, we're going to send down upon you, O Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, a weighty speech, a heavy speech, so heavy that mountains couldn't bear it. Had the Qur'an been sent down upon a mountain, what would have happened? لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشِعًا مُتَصَدِّعًا مِّنْ خَشِيَةِ اللَّهِ You would see that mountain falling apart from the fear and the haybah, the awe of Allah. Mountains cannot receive the Qur'an. So what was the helipad? The helipad was the human heart and therefore it had to be prepared. That's number one. Why else have we chosen the topic of heart? Because the receptor of Islamic admonition is the heart. Did you understand this? 
the receiver, uh, what receives the Islamic reminder, whether Quran or Hadith or a Friday sermon or a lecture like this, what is receiving it primarily is your heart, not your ears, not any other sensory faculty that you have. It's your heart. That's where it's going. And this is precisely why Allah Jalla Jalaluhu said in Surah Al-Qaf, There is a reminder in this. For who? لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ For he who possesses a heart. There is a reminder in this. But for who? For he who possesses a heart. Not an ear. For he who possesses a heart. أو ألقى السمع وهو شهيد Or he gives ear whilst he is attentive. So it's going to the heart. How is it that two people may hear the exact same reminder? Same content, same speaker, same pace, same tone of voice. Yet they behave in polar opposite ways. We may get this disparity in this particular hall. Two people who hear the same message, but look at the difference between them. Person A, uh, hears it and his eyes begin to water up with tears. Memories of the past start playing in his mind and a decision to change his life once and for all comes into play from this very evening. Then you have individual B, maybe sat just next to him, no social distancing needed. He hears the same content, but in one ear, out the other, unaffected. What's the differences between them? Nothing to do with their physical properties. No difference in their health, in their fitness. That's not the idea. The idea is this one had a healthy heart and this one had an unhealthy heart. This Islamic heart was ready to receive the admonition and therefore it produced change. And this heart was not a healthy heart. It's obsessed with all sorts of sins and yearnings and cravings and haram. There's no room for this type of material anyway. And so it is pushed out. The difference is in the status of the heart. So the heart is the receiver of the Islamic content. This is just like rainwater. The same rain that falls upon land, but each plot of land behaves completely differently depending upon the properties of that soil. You have a land that is fertile, and so it absorbs the rainwater, and it's able to hold it in, it retains it. And then it's able to produce all sorts of colorful plants and beneficial herbage. Then you have a second plot of land that receives the same rain. But this land is different. It's a rocky terrain. It's unable to absorb the water. So it holds the water. It carries it. It benefits others who come to drink from it. But that land itself cannot produce anything. And then you have a third type of land. And this is the worst of them all. It's a salty or a uh, sandy plot of land where the rain goes straight through it. That land is unable to retain the water, thus producing anything beneficial. And therefore, it is also unable to benefit itself. 
This is exactly the analogy of the human heart and how it behaves to revelation, like what you are hearing now, Islamic content, why people behave differently. Because of how fertile hearts are. You have a heart that hears it, La ilaha illallah, it is time to change. And the vibes of that reminder stay with you for a week after it as well, maybe a lifetime even. So you retain that knowledge and you grow because of it and you're willing to share it with others as well. That's the fertile land. And then you have a second type of heart. It carries the information, but because it is ill, with a desire that you and I may know about, it cannot absorb it, but it can share it with others. Come to the lecture. I've memorized this ayah. Listen to this hadith. But in of himself, he has not grown. And then you have the worst type of hearts where the reminder goes straight through it. Unable to grow because of it and let alone benefit anybody else. Which heart is yours? And that is why Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Search for your heart during one of three circumstances. When you hear the Qur'an recited, where is your heart? And during gatherings of remembrance, like this, where is your heart? Number three, when you are alone, when no one is looking, young man, search for your heart. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he concludes and he says, فَإِن لَمْ تَجِدْ قَلْبَكَ فِي هَذِهِ الْمَوَاطِنِ if you fail to find your heart during these three times, then make dua, ask Allah to give you a heart because you are a heartless human being, he said. La ilaha illallah. So we said, why have we chosen this topic? We said prophethood was foreshadowed with a procedure on the heart. Number two, the receptor of the Islamic information and admonition is the human heart. Number three, are you taking notes? Number three, the motivator towards the doing of good deeds is the heart. Yani, the, the practitioners of Islam, those who practice the religion, they do so because of their hearts that encourage them. This is simple, it's as simple as that. Didn't the Messenger وسلم, say in the famous hadith which Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Al-Mu'man ibn Bashir? He said, There is a limb in the body, he said. There is a limb. If it is sound, the rest of the body will be sound. If it is corrupt, the rest of the body will be corrupt. He said that limb is the heart. So the heart is the king. The heart is what issues the commands that gives out the instructions. These hands, these limbs, these private parts, they are simply obeying to the instruct instruction of a corrupt king or a just king. But it's the heart. So those who practice Islam, you see them. How is it that individual A is able to wake up for Salatul Fajr day in, day out, seamlessly? 
Sometimes he or she, they don't even need their alarm clocks anymore. They say it's, it's a built-in alarm now. We just wake up without it. And then you have individual B who cannot remember the last time he listened to his alarm and didn't pray Salatul Fajr 9 or 10 a.m. in the morning. What's the difference between them? They're both fit. They're both healthy. It's the condition of what? Condition of the heart. How is it that there may be two individuals, uh, two sisters say, for example, one of them is adamant upon the Islamic hijab, the correct Islamic hijab. She doesn't care what time of day it is. The hijab is hijab. And another one of our sisters who has a weakness, as we all do, and the hijab slips on and off according to the mood or the circumstance or the occasion. How come? The condition of hearts, that's all it is. Nothing more, nothing less. Individual A who is able to say, no, this is a haram business deal, I can't do that. Even if I've got to do a 9 till 5 and live off minimum wage, I will not put haram in my belly. No thanks. How does he, how does he do that? And then you get individual B who's falling prey to every pyramid Ponzi scheme under the sun. He doesn't care. Riba, alcohol, cheating, uh, uh, depriving people of their... He doesn't care. How come? One difference, not two, one. And that is what? The condition of the heart. So I love the words of Shumayt ibn Ajlan. Shumayt, son of Ajlan, he is a hadith transmitter and a tabi'i. He said, Inna Allah Azza wa Jalla qad ja'ala quwwata al-mu'mini fi qalbihi wa lam yaj'alha fi a'da'ihi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the believer strong in his heart, not necessarily strong in his body. And then he elaborates. أَلَا تَرَى كَيْفَ أَنَّ الرَّجُلَ أَشَّيْخَ الْكَبِيرَةَ الضَّعِفَ يَصُومُ الْهَوَاجِرَ وَيَقُومُ بِاللَّيْلِ وَيَعْجَزُ الشَّابُ عَنْ كَثِيرٍ مِنْ ذَلِكَ He said, don't you see how there may be an old senile man who's weak in his body, yet he's able to fast the long summer days and he's able to pray the long summer nights in Qiyam. Whilst the young man next door is unable to do all of that. How come? It's here. It's the condition of the heart. Do you see why we have chosen this topic, brothers and sisters? Are we building a case for it in your hearts? These are three reasons I have shared with you so far. Let me share with you a fourth. The place where fitna is presented to is the human heart. You think it's your eye that saw what was haram? Or did you think it was your ear that heard what was haram? Or did you think it was your hand or any other part of your anatomy that touched that which was haram? Akhil Karim, dear sister, these are just gateways. The entry, the destination is the heart. Fitna goes straight to the heart. And this is mentioned explicitly in the hadith which Muslim narrates on the authority of Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, تُعْرَضُ الْفِتَنُ عَلَى الْقُلُوبِ كَعَرْضِ الْحَصِيرِ عُودًا Fitna, tests, tribulations, temptations, whatever they may be, they are presented to the hearts, fitna by fitna. The same way that a reed mat is woven stick by stick. One at a time. Fitna by fitna, temptation by temptation. One at a time, it's coming to the heart. He explains, he says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, listen to this beautiful hadith. 
he said فَأَيُّ قَلْبٍ أُشْرِبَهَا نُكِتَتْ فِيهِ نُكْتَةٌ سَوْدَا Therefore, any heart that absorbs the fitna, it takes it in. What happens? A black dot is placed upon that heart. You feel that darkness. You feel that gloom and misery. When you don't lower your gaze, for example, or cover your ears, for example, you feel that black dot, almost physically. He said, But any heart that repels this fitna with patience, it turns away from it. Despite the pain, he said, a white dot will be placed upon that heart. This continues to happen till one of two hearts will develop with a person. There's no third. Till one of two hearts. He said, One of the two hearts will eventually become so white, it will look like a white stone pure and clean, therefore no fitna will ever harm it so long as the heavens and the earth endure. Allahu Akbar. May Allah give us that type of heart. What is the second? والآخر أسود مربادا كالكوزي مجخية لا يعرف معروفا ولا ينكر منكرا إلا ما أشرب من هواه And as for the other type of heart, that's just allowing anything in. It will end up looking like a black and gray dust-colored vessel that is upside down. Upside down. And you can try to pour this cup with water all you like when it's upside down. It will never fill. He said that's what the heart will look like towards the end. Black, dust-colored, upside down. Not recognizing good. Not forbidding evil. But being obsessed with sins. So you try to offer that type of heart admonition and reminders. It just deflects it. You give it ayah, hadith, Quran, sunnah, you know the person's not dialed in, he's not there, they're not checking in with you. It's deflecting it. So where is fitna presented, dear brothers and sisters? Where does it go? It goes to the heart. Why is it that when you see something in the street that you know maybe perhaps you looked at it a little bit too long, and then it disappears, and khalas, you go, and TK Maxx, and you do your shopping, and you, you go home, and you come to sleep, you close your eyes, La ilaha illallah, the image is still there. What happened? It went to where? It went to the heart. That's where fitna goes. How is it that you may hear something? You know you should have closed the browser. You should have swiped left. Right? You know you shouldn't have given it your eardrums. But you do. You switch it off. You say, astaghfirullah. I didn't need to do that. You go home, you play with the kids, you go to sleep, switch off the lights, pin drop silence, you hear the track. What happened? It went to the heart. You go on the internet, you read something you know you shouldn't have read. It's a shubha, it's a doubt. It makes you shake in your religion. You switch it off, you go home, you come to sleep, you can still read it, you can still hear it. Your iman is now lingering. Why? Because it went to the heart. And the same can be said about khair, goodness. You come to a lecture like this or any other one, and you feel uplifted, you feel strong, you feel now buzzing with iman, you feel light emanating from you even when you are leaving the masjid. Why? Because that khair went into your heart. So fitna is presented to the heart. Remember that your eyes, your ears, they are gutters, gutters, imagine this, huh? gutters. And they are pouring their contents into your heart. And we're just allowing these gutters to pour everything at any time of the day into that poor heart. It can't take it. It can't do it. Then you ask, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. 
I'm miserable. I'm upset. I'm unstable. I'm unhappy. What have you filled those gutters with? What have you filled those gutters with? Because whatever you've chosen to fill them with, they are pouring where? Into the heart. So this is another reason why we've chosen this topic. Because the uh, home of fitna is the heart. Another reason why we've chosen this topic, this is number five, is because of the home of happiness is the heart. Values like happiness and contentment and peace, satisfaction, reliance upon Allah, tawakkul, patience. Where do these values reside? Not in the hands and certainly not in your bank account. These values reside only in the heart. So you spoil your limbs with all of the embellishments of, your, of life that you want. If you leave your heart unattended, watch how happiness will vanish. And the opposite is true. Give your heart the attention it deserves. And Jazakumullah khair, you are doing this by attending the likes of this lecture. And watch how Allah will bring happiness back into your life because it's your heart that you are treating. Even though your limbs may be in pain, your heart is at peace, you will be able to repeat the words of our predecessors who said what? Inna fid dunya jannah. There is a paradise in this world. Man lam yadkhulha lam yadkhul jannat al-akhirah. Whoever does not live in this paradise today will not enter the paradise of the hereafter. What paradise are they referring to? The paradise of having a content heart that knows Allah Jalla Jalaluhu and is at peace with Him. That is a paradise that you experience in the life of this world before the hereafter. Malik ibn Dinar, he said something similar. He said, Masakin ahlul dunya. Masakin ahlul dunya. They left this world without experiencing the sweetest thing it has to offer. They said, what is the sweetest thing that life has to offer? He said, knowing Allah and loving Him. That sits in the heart. So when the heart is attended to, forget about what your limbs may be experiencing, even if it is imprisonment, a physical one or a metaphorical one. You are at peace. And you will repeat the words of Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim who said, these are wonderful words, who sh should be written it with ink of gold or something more precious than the ink of gold, like the tears of the righteous believer that he sheds for the sake of his Lord. He said, That in the human heart, there is a sense of scattering that can only be gathered by Returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَفِي الْقَلْبِ وَحْشَةٌ لَا يُزِيلُهَا إِلَّا الْأُنْسُ بِاللَّهِ And in the human heart, there is a sense of loneliness that can only be erased by finding companionship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَفِي الْقَلْبِ خَوْفٌ وَقَلَقٌ لَا يَذْهَبُ إِلَّا بِالْفِرَارِ إِلَى اللَّهِ And in the human heart, there is a sense of fear and anxiety that can only be removed by fleeing back to Allah. And in the heart there is a sense of regret that can only be extinguished by being content with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahu Akbar. 
So where is the home of happiness? The home of happiness is the heart. We ask Allah Jalla Jalaluhu to allow us to taste it and to treat our ill hearts. Why else have we chosen this topic? This is number six from the seven. Because, brothers and sisters, the greatest of all deeds, they are the deeds of the heart. See, how much do we speak about the physical manifestations of Islam? Salah that you do and zakah that you give and fasting that you do. and We talk about that a lot and rightly so. This is part of the religion. How much attention do you feel is given to those inward forms of Islam? Acts of reliance and submission and penitence and khushu and humility and feeling the awe of Allah and loving Him and fearing Him and hoping in Him and yearning for Him and desiring that proximity with the Divine, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those are, according to the consensus of the scholars of Islam, greater than the physical acts of Islam. As a sinf, as a category, they are more noble, the internal acts of worship. And it's quite simple, isn't it? It's a no-brainer. Do all of the physical actions of Islam you want. Pray all day. Right? But in the absence of certain internal acts of worship in the heart that are absent, all of it will be in vain. Like Tawheed. Unifying Allah, believing in Him. If that's not there, what does praying mean? Nothing. As a Muslim, you may fast all day, day upon day, and pray night upon night, but then you have an issue of riyah showing off. There's no ikhlas. All of those good deeds come crashing down. Subhanallah. That's the importance of having this in check. So they are what? They are more important. They are greater as a category than the physical actions of Islam. Are we giving it attention it deserves? Furthermore, this is an interesting point here. Um, the actions of Islam are required sometimes. صح? Not all of the time. Yeah, you're sometimes required to pray. Five times a day, minimally. Between them, you don't need to pray. Fasting, you, you, you do that once a year. If you don't fast again, you're not really sinful. So the physical actions of Islam are required sometimes, but not other times. As for the inward actions of the heart, some of them are required every second of the day. Are you allowed for a second to pass from your life without being a mu'min? Are you, are you allowed for a second of the day to pass by where you are in doubt of Allah? Are you allowed to be insincere for a second of the... You're not allowed. Now we do these things. May Allah forgive us. We fall pray to them. But we're wrong for doing it. And we ask Allah to forgive us. But you are required to be in that state 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And that's why they say that the inward actions, as Imam ibn al-Qayyim, he said about the, the inward actions, that he al-aslul muradul maqsud. Those inward actions of the religion is what Allah primarily intends from us and primarily what He wants from us. It is the foundation of all deeds. And as for the actions of the limbs, they complete them. They add to them. They enrich them. And then He says, 
that the inward actions, they are like the soul of a body, whereas the physical actions, they are like the body itself. And what is the worth of a body without a? What is the worth of a body without a? Without a soul. Yeah, it's dead. You can love your wife as much as you want. You can scream over her demise, may Allah give your wife long life. But two days, three days into her death, you'll be calling the coroner saying, for heaven's sake, can you please rush to the house? She's beginning to stink. She needs to go underground. He needs to go underground. Why? Because the soul is not there. So the real value was what? The hair? The real value was in the soul. And now that it's gone, you want that person out of your life. So these inward actions, Ya Ikhwani, Ya Akhawat, these are the soul of your relationship with Allah Jalla Jalalu. One more heading I will share with you before we move on. Why have we chosen this topic of the hearts? And that is because the center of attention on the Day of Judgment will be the human heart. The showdown will all depend on the state of your qalb. And who knew Allah better than the Prophet Ibrahim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Who knew Allah better than him? Who recognized his Lord better than him coming only second place to our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu So when he says something, give it weight. He said, listen to this dua as Allah documents it in Surah Al-Shu'ara, chapter of the poets. Ibrahim, he says, My Lord, give me authority and allow me to follow in the footsteps of the righteous. And give me a reputation of honor in the latter generations of people. And allow me to be an inheritor of the gardens of delight. And O Allah, forgive my father because he has gone astray. And don't disgrace me on the day of resurrection. On the day when no one will be benefited by money or children. Only a person who meets Allah with a sound heart. That is the most precious thing you can offer your Lord on the day of judgment and it will be the center of all attention. Show me your heart. And that is why how beautiful were the words of Yahya ibn Mu'adh who said, That the distances of this world, they are covered by your feet. That's how you move. Distances of this world, they are covered by your feet. But the distances in the hereafter, they are covered by hearts. These are the elevators. Where's your heart? Why was Abu Bakr anhu ahead of the race? How come? What made him special to any other companion? Wasn't the tallest, wasn't the most handsome, he wasn't the richest, he also wasn't the poorest. He didn't die as a martyr like Sumayya and Sa'ad and Umar. He wasn't persecuted like Yasir and Bilal and Suhaibra. He didn't have as much money as, say, as Zubair or Abdurrahman ibn Awf. Yet he is ahead of them all, including the scholars and martyrs of this nation. How come? 
simple recipe. Are you ready for it? Bakr ibn Abdullah, he said from the Tabi'een, مَا سَبَقَهُمْ بِكَثْرَةِ صَلَاةٍ وَلَا صِيَامٍ It wasn't a lot of prayer and fasting that caused him to win the race. He said, وَلَكِنْ بِشَيْءٍ وَقَرَ فِي قَلْبِهِ But it was something that fell into his heart. That's the secret. His heart and how he felt about the religion and Allah was different. Thus he is, وَلَسَوْفَ يَرْضَى As Allah said, he shall be pleased. So this is the seventh reason why we've chosen this topic, which is, the center of attention on the day of judgment and your elevators in that race in the hereafter is about the condition of the heart. We ask Allah to purify the heart. This is why, dear brothers and sisters, now focus with me as we move on to the, uh, the second area of this discussion or this lecture. The study of the hearts that we're going to be starting, the change of heart series, is one of the maqasid, not from the wasail. It's one of the objectives, not a means. Focus here with me for a moment. There are certain sciences of Islam that you study in order to help you to reach something else. But that science in of itself, it is not an objective. It is a what? A means to a objective. For example, you study usul al-fiqh, Islamic legal theory. Usul al-fiqh, you study it not as an ends, as a means to get you to fiqh, jurisprudence, Islamic law. Um, you study mustalah al-hadith, hadith classification sciences, not as an ends, as an objective, but just to help you to get to hadith, the science of hadith or the study of hadith. Those of you who are uh, come back from Egypt, Jazakumullah khair, who are studying Arabic, you now know that you study uh, nahu, syntax or grammar, not as an ends, but in order to get you to do the correct i'rab, correct case endings when writing or speaking Arabic. It's a means to an ends. As for the study of the hearts that we will be embarking on, inshallah, it is an objective in of itself. It's not a means, it is an ends in of itself. Now we ask the question, what does the word qalb mean? We're using the word qalb and heart interchangeably. Heart, the Arabic is qalb. Appears a lot in the Quran. What does it mean? From a linguistic Arabic perspective, there are two main meanings. The first meaning is khalisu shay'i wa sharifuhu. The essence of something and its most noble part. When you say that this is the qalb of something, the heart of a matter, it means it's the essence of it and the most noble part of it. Just from a linguistic perspective. A second meaning is raddu shay'i ala shay'i or raddu ba'di shay'in ala shay'i to turn something over from side to side, qalb. These are the two linguistic meanings of this word. How do they apply to the human heart and why was it given this name? Very easy, in line with the first meaning, which we said that it is the essence of something, the most noble part of it, because that is what your heart is. It is your essence, and it is the most noble part of you that carries values like comprehension, and consciousness, and awareness, and thought, and love, and submission, and regret, and penitence. It's your essence, therefore. It's your center, and it's your most noble part. That's the heart. And in line of this, with the second meaning that we said is what? What was the second meaning? 
turning something over from side to side. Why is the human heart given this name? It goes without saying, right? Because the heart is always changing from side to side. Always oscillating between Iman and Kufr, Kufr to Iman, sincerity to insincerity and vice versa, from contentment to jealousy and, and vice versa, from greed to satisfaction and vice versa, from an, a resolve to do something to lethargy and laziness and vice versa. It's always changing in its intentions, in its motives, in its feelings, from its anger and rage and calm. It's always changing. And that is why Ibn Majah narrates on the authority of Abu Musa that the Messenger وسلم, said, The example of the human heart is like the example of a feather that is blown about on a windy day. That's your heart and mine. A feather that is blown about on a windy day. It's risky stuff. And of course, there's no contradiction between these two meanings. The essence of something and its noble part. And something that is turning from side to side. There's no contradiction. You can easily reconcile between them by saying the noble matters, the essence of matters, the most valuable matters are things that you protect from turning from side to side and leaving you. So one of the names of the heart is Qalb. We've understood this now. Another name that the Quran refers to it as, as the Fu'ad. Have you heard of this name before? Fu'ad. The human heart is called a Fu'ad. Literally meaning something that is burning or something that is inflamed. Look how graphic that is. Something that is inflamed. Summiya Fu'adan li kathrati tafa'udihi. It's called a fu'ad because it is inflamed with desires and thoughts and different intentions, burning. It's true, isn't it? If you, uh, your neighbor is snoring, put in, put in some earplugs, that's the end of your hearing. You can't hear anything. خلاص. If uh, your neighbor wants to keep the lights on when you're sleeping, خلاص. you put on something on your face, that's the end of your scene. Does the heart get any rest? The heart is constantly thinking, yearning, analyzing, processing. When you are awake, when you are asleep, during the day, during the night, it never stops terrorizing you. It's quite agonizing, actually. That's the nature of the heart. So it's called Fu'ad because it's a constant state of inflammation. And that's why Allah said in the Quran, in the sam'a, indeed your hearing, wal basara, and your seeing, wal Fu'ad, and your Fu'ad, your heart. There will be a question about all of these. Ya Allah, there will be a question in front of the king about the fu'ad, about the heart. What did you do with it? So that's another name of the heart, which is the fu'ad. One more, and I will close the lecture with this. The heart is also known as al-aql. How do you translate aql, brothers? How do you translate aql? Hmm? Intellect, yeah. Any other translations? Mind. Mind. Wisdom. Wisdom. Okay. So, could we say, for example, it's the center of reasoning, al-aql, center of reasoning that we always thought was here. Look at how the Sharia places a huge and noticeable emphasis that the aql that we point to as being here is in fact here. 
whilst Islam not diminishing at all the role of the brain. This is a no-brainer because we see people who have accidents where they're knocked hard enough on their heads. Lo and behold, there are signs of insanity, uh, dementia, and the rest of it. It's obvious. But what Islam does do is shift a lot of the attention to this place here. Something that much of conventional cardiology and medicine perhaps is yet to catch up with, and who knows, maybe the coming years, we will see more and more of it. And I will give you a glimpse of some scientific research that is being uncovered in recent times, but before I share with you how the Quran and Sunnah say, reasoning is here, consciousness is here, taqwa is here, iman is here, hypocrisy is here. Allah Jalla Jalaluhu said in the Quran, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمْ عَلَىٰ do they not ponder over the Qur'an or are there locks upon their hearts? So according to the Book of Allah, what is it that ponders? What is it that ponders? It's the heart. Allah Jalla Jalaluhu said, Their hearts were sealed, therefore they cannot hear. Therefore the primary faculty of hearing the correct message is what? It this? It's this, according to the Qur'an. Allah said in the ayah you heard, إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَذِكْرَ لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبِ There is a reminder in this for he who possesses what? A heart, Allah said. And in another explicit ayah, Allah said, أَفَلَمْ يَسِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Do they not travel in the lands? فَتَكُونَ لَهُمْ قُلُوبٌ يَعْقِلُونَ بِهَا So they may develop hearts that they can understand with. أو آذان يسمعون بها or ears that they may hear with listen فإنها لا تعمل أبصار indeed it doesn't blind the eyes ولكن تعمى القلوب التي في الصدور but it blinds the hearts that are in the chests leaving no room for doubt what is being referred to here it blinds the hearts that is in the chests عجيب the Quran huge emphasis on this وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِمَانَ وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ Allah has beautified Islam in your hearts. And then the hadith. What did the beloved sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say? التَّقْوَى هَهُنَا التَّقْوَى هَهُنَا He said piety is here. Piety is here. Pointing to his heart three times. What do you and I do when we want to say that we've got things going on in our mind? We say... Right? Prophet is saying, it's the heart. And the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentions other ahadith that indicate that the center of reasoning is indeed the heart. أَعْدَدْتُ لِعِبَادِيَ الصَّالِحِينَ مَا لَا عَيْنٌ رَأَتْ وَلَا أُذُنٌ سَمِعَتْ وَلَا خَطَرَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِ بَشَرِ In the hadith Qudsi, Allah said, that I have prepared for my righteous servants in Jannah, paradise, that which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no heart could ever imagine. So what is the center of imagination according to the Sunnah? The heart. So it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And like I said, the fact that conventional medicine is yet to arrive at much of what we are explaining shouldn't stump us or cause us to doubt. In fact, there are so many questions that modern-day medics, with all due respect, brothers, <laughs> that they cannot answer till this day, and understandably so. What is the reality of an irada, an intention? 
What is the reality of love and hatred? What is that? How is that formed in the human being? Where does it sit? No one knows. What is despair? What is submission and acceptance? What is reliance? What is fear? What is jealousy? What is contentment? What is happiness? Can a medic explain to you what these things are? Of course not. So the easiest person to stump, dear brothers, is the medic. Not because of their ignorance. No, actually, it's the opposite. It's because of how little we actually know of the human body. We're still learning. But I share with you this, and this is the last part of our lecture, and we'll finish in five minutes. Modern day research is really catching up with the Quran and Sunnah as it always does. And it's beginning to suggest in recent years that there is a huge emphasis on the human heart as having brain-like qualities. Uh, having what? Brain-like qualities. There was a study in 1974 by two French researchers, two French scientists, uh, Gahre and Vernigi, I think their names were. And they were essentially stimulating the vagus nerve in cats. The vagus nerve is the nerve that connects the heart to the brains and they communicate. And they discovered that it wasn't as simple as the brain communicating messages to the heart. It was actually a two-way communication. The brain is sending messages to the heart, but the heart has its fair share of things to say to the brain as well. And this shocked them. And they, and they found that sometimes the brain would give instructions to the heart and the heart wouldn't obey. So it's making them believe that the heart is acting to some extent as an independent brain with its own decision making. They've discovered that the, 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 the heart in recent times, they've actually reclassified the heart as an endocrine gland. You guys know this better than me. When they saw it producing a new hormone, they call it the ANF. And this hormone actively affects your kidneys, your blood vessels, and parts of the brain. The heart is producing hormones uh, that affect the brain and influence the brain. There is two-way communication. And the heart is able to learn, apparently. It's able to understand. It's able to communicate these messages to other cells. It's amazing, subhanAllah, it's phenomenal. So the heart brain, this is what they are calling it, the heart brain. And to show you this type of independence to some extent that it has, look at in recent times when the heart is taken out of a, the chest of a, a person and it's still beating. When it's completely severed, all of those nerves between it and the brains, the central nervous system is severed, yet the heart can continue beating by itself for some time. Am I, am I mistaken, doctor? Right. What does that tell you? It tells you that it's not entirely dependent upon the brain. In fact, it's self-initiated. In fact, we know in modern day uh, medicine that what? The, the heart begins to beat within the chest of a fetus well before the brain is even formed. So the uh, instruction to beat was not initiated by the brain. The central nervous system is non-existent. It is self-initiated. How come? The heart has a level of independent reasoning. It has to be taken care of, dear brothers and sisters. This is serious stuff. And uh, there was actually, there's documented cases of people who were beheaded. So the connection between the brain and the heart is gone. And the body, the beheaded body actually stood up. And it walked around for a while, and then it fell back down. How, how did that happen? How, how could that happen? I read in an article in 2008 in the Mail Online of an amazing case of a, 
uh, of an American who took the heart from a donor. And then a few years down, he became very depressed and he committed suicide. They discovered that 12 years prior, the one who gave him the heart, right, the donor, had also committed suicide from depression. Same heart. Here's what is more amazing. When they investigated it, they found that the person who received the heart of the depressed one, who did he marry? He married the former wife of the donor. She was the one. SubhanAllah. It's insane. Yeah. I hope this reassures my wife upstairs. <laughs> but listen, if any of you end up taking my heart, move to another city, please. In the same article, a lady, she mentions about her experience in receiving a heart from a young boy who was 18 years old, young man, 18 years old, who died in a motorcycle accident. So she needed a new heart. Actually, she needed a new set of lungs. She took both from him. And then she speaks about her waking up from the uh, operation. The press were there to interview her. They said to her, how do you feel? She said, I'll be honest with you, I'm dying for a beer right now. I could really do with a beer. She said, then I stopped in my tracks. I said, where'd that come from? I don't even like beer. But she said, I just needed the taste of beer for some strange reason. I was disappointed with myself. She said, then I started getting these cravings for three things, Snickers, green peppers, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't like these things, she said. And then she said, I became a lot more masculine in my behavior. I felt it. My femininity was dying out. I was walking like a man. I was lumbering like this stocky football player as if I've got muscles with my chest puffed out. I didn't know what was happening. I was becoming more self-conscious, more reliant upon myself, more, more daring like the guy almost who died from a motorcycle accident. And then, this is the weirdest thing. She said, I started having these re weird romantic dreams that I was in infatuated with a Tim L. A Tim, she said his surname began with L. I, I, I don't remember what the, the surname was. She said, I loved him so much in my dream. It was like I was inhaling him into my soul. It's like he was part of me. Anyway, she said, I, I began to, there was something fishy about this. I, I wasn't myself. So I decided to inquire about the person who donated the heart to me. The hospital wouldn't give, in, give me the name because of their strict code of confidentiality. She said, I never gave up. So she went with a friend to an obituary. They found the name of the person, the donor. What was his name? Timothy Lamarant. Timothy, that's the Tim, Lamarin, that's the L. She knew his name just by virtue of the heart. Tim L. She was in love with him because he's now inside of her. She said, I managed to track down uh, his address. Me and my friend, we went and we spoke to the family and they were very emotional to see part of their son inside somebody else. We spoke. And I said, what was his favorite drinks? They said, he loved beer. What about his foods? They said, well, he loved chicken nuggets. That's the KFC. They said he was really into his chocolate, especially Snickers. And uh, whenever he'd have salad, he'd have to have a lot of the green peppers inside as well. SubhanAllah. So what is this heart, brothers and sisters? What is this heart? Just a mushy limb 
that just cries over love? Or is there a little bit more to that? Yeah? There was a book by uh, Claire Sylvia called Change of Heart, actually, like the name of our series. And she speaks of a uh, woman who received the heart of a donor, and within a few weeks, she knew the name of the donor, her address, and a lot of the information about the family, although all of this information was withheld from her. And she speaks of another woman who took the heart of a woman that was murdered. And throughout her dreams and moments of quiet solitude, she was able to rethink the entire crime scene for how the lady was killed. She managed to reconstruct the entire details until she gave the details to the police officer and they found him and convicted him. So the center of reasoning and the center of consciousness is the human heart according to their religion. And therefore, dear brothers and sisters, the topic at hand is profound. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to give us the attention, to give it the attention it deserves. Next week will be a second introductory lecture. But until then, we say, وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَى نَبِيِّنَا مُحَمَّدٍ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِ